Hey everyone, I'm Jesse Bowman, the host of Side Door, a podcast with candid conversations with world-class entrepreneurs. Indonesia is the second largest polluter of plastics in the world. Every year, they waste 3.22 million metric tons of plastics. One metric ton is 2,205 pounds, or 1,000 kilograms. So times 3.22 million is a lot. There are many different contributing factors to this problem. Aside from a lack of curbside recyclable waste pickup, there are two big reasons why Indonesia has a large plastic waste problem. First, the normal water supply is not drinkable. Everyone must drink bottled water. Every home has a gallon jug or a big water dispenser. Water fountains are not common, requiring people to buy bottled water on the go. Secondly, Indonesians buy a lot of items in the form of sachet. A sachet is a small plastic packet with enough product for one use, like a sample. Instead of paying more money for a bigger container that lasts longer, they prefer to buy sachets because they are cheaper. Shampoo and coffee are commonly bought in sachets in Indonesia. This creates a tremendous amount of additional plastic waste. Today, I'm talking to two entrepreneurs with two different backgrounds with two very different products who are both tackling Indonesia's plastics problem. Leonda Huaidi is a recent graduate who chose to defer a graduate degree in rocket science to launch WaterHub, a startup focused on reducing plastic waste through filtered water stations. Hey, Jesse. Thank you for having me. Owe Sabrina is the co-founder of Rebricks, a company that turns plastic waste into bricks that can be used in landscape architecture. Hi, Jesse. Thank you for having me here. In parallel, they are tackling Indonesia's plastic problem. Hi, Leon. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, so I'm really excited to talk to you today. You have a really interesting bio. Can you give us a little background on who you are? Oh, thanks, Jesse. Um, um, maybe I can just like tell you a bit story about myself. I had always been fascinated by technology and engineering since I was very young. And as a teenager, I used to go to a racing car repair shop after school since I was very curious on how things work. And eventually I wanted to venture into something more challenging. And so I enrolled in aerospace engineering when I was 15. But um, along the way, I got involved into a lot of organizations and communities, one of them related to environment and sustainable living. And there I was so involved that I realized that the way our people live really depends on the infrastructure and facilities that are available for them to use. And seeing news on our planet's current situation really strikes me. And the idea that Indonesia is the second largest contributor to plastic waste in the world makes me stop and think. So when I graduated, I was in the position of choosing whether I want to have a scholarship for my master's in rocket engineering, or I could also choose an option to build something that could make change to Indonesia's current plastic situation. And in the end, I chose the second option because I thought that if I didn't start and make a change, then who will, right? So I guess since I graduated very young, I can just pick up my master's later on. And so I became the co-founder and CEO of WaterHub. So you could have been a rocket scientist, but you've decided to go down the purpose of saving the water supply in Indonesia. Yeah. At, <laughs> right after graduating college. Yeah. Because I thought that maybe since I still have, you know, like the time, I could just maybe if I want to pursue it later on, I can just, you know, carry it up 
somewhere along the way again. Yeah, when you're young, you have a lot of options. <laughs> yeah. So for those who aren't familiar, can you tell us what WaterHub is and what is your mission? Sure. So WaterHub is a Raffles Station startup company who wants to deliver a new way of distributing drinking water so everyone could live healthily and sustainably. We wanted to bring a solution that is very simple and easy for everyone to do by building the so-called infrastructure that is accessible to everyone. We would like to encourage a future where everyone would just need to bring their empty tumbler and refill it on the go. So we believe that small changes, but when everyone does it, will bring big impact. The best part of entrepreneurship is that there are no preconceived requirements. Anyone with an idea and drive can do it. Well, my background, my university background is not correlated to Rebricks at all. <laughs> my, my, my bachelor was in psychology. But and then like after I graduated from university, like, you know, after like I work here and there and then like finally I basically came back home and then like joined my father in his uh, small concrete factory. So my father owned like a papers company, like we made, we make bricks already, like he makes bricks. So therefore like I joined him for like several years and then like, on the side, I also do some, I also do some of my like entrepreneurship, like I sell stuff, you know? And then like, I also do some, you know, like selling stuff. <laughs> okay, so it sounds like you had some side hustles uh, that kept you busy, uh, but you, you said your father had a traditional uh, brick company? Yes, my father owned like a traditional conventional papers company. So he made he makes papers. Can you tell everyone what Rebricks is and what your company mission is? So like Rebricks is a company. Well, basically, like we recycle rejected plastic waste. We turn it into building materials. Well, we have launched our first product, which is of course papers, <laughs> in two thousand nineteen. Like by the end of two thousand nineteen, and our mission is basically like to offer a solution to like a plastic waste issue in Indonesia. There is no one way to reduce the plastic waste problem in Indonesia, as we can see by the approach of these two companies. Ovi and Rebricks is taking actual plastic waste and turning it into something useful, while Leon and Waterhub is preventing plastic waste by decreasing the need for plastic bottles. Well, we focus on placing our raffle stations in public areas and facilities such as sports centers, public transportation, schools, and whatnot, because our target audiences are actually people who are active and spend their time mostly outside of their homes. So we want to accommodate their daily drinking needs. And so they could just bring their tumbler anywhere and refill it on the go. So these, these refill stations are the core product that you, you are offering right now. Yes. And yeah. so how are they just normal refilling stations or is there some proprietary technology behind it? How, how do those work? Yeah. Well, so RFL stations can be accessed through our mobile app. You can choose whether you want cold or normal water on your phone, and then you can scan the QR code that generates to the machine and voila, your tumbler will be filled with water. So our machine, uh, yeah, stations or machines, whatever you want to call it, are also connected to the internet. So that's what kind of differentiate our stations with conventional ones. So all of our stations could be monitored to ensure that our users will receive quality water every time. 
And we also um, consider our users' experience. So we want to make sure that everything is simple and easy. So it doesn't take a lot of steps for uh, anyone to just refill. Yeah. And so is it just like a, like, a, you know, everyone has in their home has like a, a water mm -hmm. dispenser with like a, an aqua gallon in it. Yeah. Uh, is it is it essentially similar to that or is it like a, a system like that purifies the existing water supply? Well, yeah, we have a purification system inside our machine. So that would, um, you know, like makes us able to distribute our water anywhere. And so we don't have to like um, think about how we're going to operate, you know, like send gallons and everything to one of our stations when we can just filter the water that is uh, available on that certain area and just filter it. And so it will, became, it will become a drinking water for anyone to refill. Okay, so then you have to set these up and these are permanent, semi-permanent um, yeah. filling stations. Yeah, so we have to install it somewhere like um, on the area. Setting up water purification stations in high areas of foot traffic is one thing. But how do you turn plastic waste into a brick or a paver that can be functional? During our initial survey, you know, before we started this business, like what, during our research and development process, like we went around, you know, Jakarta, Jakarta and around Jakarta, like Bogor, Bekasi, and then we visited a lot of like waste collectors. And then we met some people in the waste banks, you know, and then like we just we found out that there are plastic there are type of plastic that they don't re, they don't collect basically like there are a lot of like food packaging plastic they reject that kind of plastic especially like multi-layered plastic like sachet they reject that type of plastic they don't collect it usually they just like for example if they have i have to say if they collect like bottle and then the outer part of the label they also don't collect it so like usually the waste picker will pick the bottle clean the label like took off the label and then like they will burn it or they will throw it away you know like to a landfill or something like that which is like it surprised us i mean like when we found out that there are many type of plastic that people don't collect because no demand from companies nobody really recycle it we just like oh my god so everything that you know like everything that like the coffee we make every day, like where does where does all of that goes? You know, like all the waste and the sachet waste. Like basically, everything goes to the landfills or like or incinerators, or like worse, like it will pollute the environment, right? So like because of that, so we focus on multi-layer plastic. We focus on that rejected type of plastic. So like we shred it, we mix it with other ingredients, and then we basically mold it and make it into papers, basically. Okay, so a couple things here. One is, so sachets, uh, you're referring to like the single-use shampoo, like, yes. uh, I don't know how to describe it verbally, uh, just like a little packet, right? Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's very common in Indonesia, and so that produces a lot of waste. So you might take that, and then <clears throat> how, and then you, you have a process where you collect it, and then turned it into a brick right yes okay and so did this idea come from you know working with your dad at a traditional brick company or you know like what was your eureka moment to to start this company so basically like uh 
two years prior, we started three bricks. Like I have started like small business with my partner right now, like my business partner. So like we we have you know like we have been hustling for two years, and then like suddenly we were just like basically the idea is because like I think it's more it comes it it sounds cliche, but it's basically because like. You know, like we were talking one day in my room and we were just thinking, you know, like we were talking about environment, blah, blah, blah. And then like we were thinking and we were just like, maybe we should do business that have a good cost, you know, like maybe we should do something about it, you know. So it comes from like that random ideas that we, we have basically. <laughs> so like me and my part, my business partner, we were like, we've been, you know, like we've been trying to reduce our consumption of plastic, you know, we use our, you know, you know, that, that, you know, like that habit of bringing, drinking bottles, that kind of stuff in our daily life. So like, yeah. And then like, it's a random, basically it's a random, random idea that we have basically. Interesting. Because like, so yeah. you, I've had a couple other guests on who are uh, running, you know, purpose-driven companies. Uh, so you, even though you had your, your dad's, um, experience with with the brick that wasn't the like the genesis of the idea how did, how did you go from hey let's have let's do let's start a company that is good for the world and has a great purpose behind it to uh turning plastic waste into a, a brick so basically like the at the beginning oh basically like you know like you know after with you know like after we had that idea we were like oh maybe we should basically the initial idea it wasn't papers so like our our first product shouldn't be papers right <laughs> so like we develop we we were devel we've been developing two product before we launched papers so like we were trying to make like basically like hollow blocks before we try to make papers because like you know the idea of like why we chose building materials why do we think of changing trash into building material is because like, you know, if we build a house, I just, you know, like this is like just my simple dumb logic, which is like, when I think about it, when I build a house, I won't tear it down in like maybe 20 years of time, you know? So like when we turn it into building materials, that means that we are turning into something that have longevity, right? And then like with building materials, you can usually like people will need in a big amount so you know like trash is like a big issue like we produce like tons and you know like maybe million of tons of trash so we we just think that we need like some we need to make something that consume a lot of trash also that's why we choose we we chose to do we choose to do like this building material thing but at the beginning like initially we we were basically trying to make like a uh, hollow block which is like a to make walls instead of like papers <laughs> okay yes. so for for people who aren't aware pavers are like the the bricks that you put on the the ground that you might typically see um like in the front of your house from like the the car to the the front door is that a, yes. a good way to describe it yes correct and um <clears throat> so I, I have a lot of questions about uh one the process of how how do how do you collect this plastic waste and then how do you turn that into one of these bricks and then um i'm very interested around the 
um, you were talking about the longevity, right? What is the difference in the quality of, of your, uh, their paver versus the traditional bricks that people use? Okay, let me, ex uh, maybe like can answer first about the collection, right? So like we began our, when we launched our product, you know, at the beginning, we were worried about the supply of the plastic because like, as I stated earlier, like waste banks and waste collectors, they don't really collect multi-layer sachets. So like we, we, did, we didn't know what to do. Like we didn't know where we should find that waste, right? So like at the beginning, we were worried about the supply. So therefore we started like a social media campaign. And basically surprisingly, which is like it's a pleasant surprise, like we got, we have been having like an overwhelming response from the people. Basically, like right now, we got like our supply from like the people. The people like send it to our hub, which is like we have like two spot collection spot collection points. So like people just send it to our our workshop. So and then like apart from that, we also like I think last month we managed to buy uh, multi layer sachets from one waste bank in Bogor. <laughs> That's like I, I I mean like we are we are quite proud of it because like we basically managed to add a little bit of economic value to something that used to be re, you know like rejected, and then like the other thing is like right now we are also like trying to build like a collaboration with you know bigger companies that basically they also have like they produce the plastic you know so they kind of like contacted us and then like they were think we were talking we are talking about like the possibility of like collaboration uh, of collaboration and then like they can maybe send the waste to us and something like that. so yeah that's where we get our plastic and then about the second question which is like longevity of our papers right so like papers basically like what people usually like people not some i mean like not everyone knows this like if papers have like a certain strength quality, usually it will last a very long time. Like, I don't know if you, I mean, like if you ever go and then pass a house who has like a paver in front, you know, in front of their house or on their parking lot, usually like after 20 years, 15 years, you know, the paver would still look like a paver. So you can basically, if you move house and then you still want the paver, you can basically move the papers to another house. So like, that's why like, you know, we made, we make our papers this way <laughs> because like, I mean, like if, if it's rich, like 250 kilogram per square centimeter, it's basically going to last a long time. Despite their differences in products, both women face a similar problem. How are they going to get people to use their product, fall in love with their product and spread the word organically? The key to Waterhub's success is similar to Recharge from episode one, location of the Waterhub machines. Since we just started in mid-2019, we went through a lot of product developments in the past and had uh, partnerships with schools and campuses in Jakarta, and we placed our machines in their uh, campus and school's premises. We also collaborated with them to have a program where students would bring their Tumblr on a daily basis. And we're also currently working with the government to have our machines placed in Jakarta's public area in the upcoming months, so fingers crossed. Um, yeah, we're targeting to have about 100 machines placed in just the uh, Jakarta, Jabodetabek areas because we saw that, you know, the distribution of 
Wonsan used plastic bottles are actually centered in the Jabodetabek area. And so we want to focus on that region first and then, you know, like go national to the other parts of Indonesia later on. Okay, so that that's a, a very focused growth strategy. So yeah. you're talking uh, primarily schools and, and mm-hmm. what other kind of um, buildings, areas are you you put? Yeah. Like sports centers, public stage, uh, sorry, public transportations, and even malls and other, you know, like areas that are open space and would be able, would be possible for someone to go around in and have activities. So yeah, those are like the places that we focus on penetrating in. Is the installation of these refill stations um, intensive or is it quite easy? For, for a machine to be installed? Well, yeah. it's easy, yeah. It's easy, it's just, uh, it wouldn't take so long. And we also have a um, daily maintenance. So we would, you know, like check on our machine twice, uh, sorry, uh, once every two weeks to make sure that everything is clean and everything is okay. Even though we have the online monitoring system, we would like to make sure that, you know, the physical appearance of our machines are also well-groomed and clean. And um, who are, who do you have to get to buy in to, to install these machines? Is it, is it the government? Is it just like um, private corporations who own, own the land or the, the building? Like, who are you, how are you approaching getting people to allow you to put up, put up these mm-hmm. radio stations? Well, in the past, we focused in, you know, like uh, private uh, sectors, because it would be easier to have, you know, like, um, a collaboration with them since we don't have a portfolio just yet and uh, once we have a good portfolio from uh, the partnerships with them we uh, have a follow-on uh, you know like uh, application to the government and currently that's what we're working on to have a collaboration and partnership with the government to place our machines uh, inside their facilities. In the case of Rubrics, I thought their business model would be direct to consumer since their end user is a private home. But instead, they approached their initial customers and growth through businesses that could recommend their products to homeowners like landscape architects. So basically, like we got our first customer. Our first customer is actually like a company that they try they they are trying to make like a vending machine for plastic bottle. So they bought our bricks for their office. And then like, they are also like architect who believe in this movement. So therefore they use our product for landscaping, you know. Talking about these private homes, these architects who have uh, used your products, right? Like how did you can connect with them? How, like, was there any uh, challenges when it came to getting them to, to buy your product? So basically their concern is basically more about that, you know, like is our, is our product you know, like safe is our product is like strong enough. That's basically their concern. And then how do you convince people that, that it is? We have basically like we, we have put our brick into like, I mean, like we sent our bricks to B4T. It's like a official laboratory for like concrete from the industrial ministry of industry. And then like we got a test result, which is like our brick strength is like pressure power is 250 kilogram per square centimeter and up. So therefore, like if 
people in the construction, like if they see that they, I think it can convince them a little bit. Every company, young or mature, have obstacles to overcome. But one constant in any professional setting is getting different stakeholders to buy in to your product and vision. Yeah, well, uh, to be honest, actually, the biggest obstacle would be like to pitch the idea in the very beginning because it seemed to be a dream that was so far to reach, you know, and the question of having it being profitable in a business perspective was something that I had to be able to convince. Um, but then the interesting thing is that when Waterhub was first placed, uh, our first initial machine was first placed within two weeks, 40% of the total population of the area became our user. And we saw growth of downloaders each week. And there was this data that placing our Riffle station actually decreases plastic waste by 50% daily. So I guess the next generation has shifted. And this is why I truly believe that this could be, you know, like what the future would look like. And so uh, in the future, what I sense is that the, the main obstacle or challenge uh, it would be is to, you know, like um, manage all the machines and, you know, just to make sure that quality is well maintained because that's what I want to, you know, ha uh, have like a very good quality water that is accessible for anyone, for everyone. And to, to like maintain that sense of trust of people to use WaterHub and essentially, you know, like bring Tumblr on a daily basis. So this is a, this is a for-profit business or is this a, a non-profit organization? This is actually for profit because since uh, we wanted to make this sustainable, right? So I, in my perspective, I think to, to, to ensure that everything is sustainable, you kind of have to have a profit and by then you can scale it up and, you know, um, run the business and maintain uh, everything. So then the, who, is, who is covering the initial costs of the refill stations? And then what is your business model like? Um, we had a few investors in the, uh, in the first stages. One of them is Telcom. Our business model uh, actually changes by time because we, we are also ha having uh, some models tested out and saw which one is better. And in the end of time, we saw that the voucher business model really works in Indonesia because Indonesia kind of have this mindset of, you know, like saving money and seeing which one is much more efficient. And so we make sure that our water is, you know, um, kind of cheaper, is a cheaper option for them to, to choose rather than, you know, like buying bottled water on the market or anywhere. And so that's uh, what we're trying to focus in. And also the voucher model kind of like helps us to, to you know, like mm, maintain our customer to keep on, uh, you know, like, coming back as well as uh, keep on buying the, the, the vouchers. So, yeah. Okay. So a couple of things that I want to un unpack there. One, sure. is, uh, so you have investors, uh, but mm -hmm. when you go to like, let's say a Gebeka or a Pacific place, right. And you, you're yeah. pitching them, Hey, we have these uh, refill stations for water uh, that we want to put in. Uh, mm -hmm. Do they cover the cost of the installation? Are they are they buying the the refill station from you, or is this something that um, you cover the cost of the machinery and you just put it in? 
with their permission? Yeah. Well, yeah. So first of all, we uh, we install our machines for free. They wouldn't have to, you know, like buy our machines. And what we actually need uh, for, for them to do is just to give us permission to install our machines and have a partnership with them uh, in the sense of, you know, having our machines installed in their area. And we would, you know, like monetize through our voucher, voucher model from our users. You have, let's say, on the first floor of, of Pacific Place, uh, mm-hmm. Just using this as an example, uh, you have a refill station. Uh, yeah. Then anyone can walk up to this and refill their their tumbler, their water bottle, uh, and then you just charge them by the milliliter or ounce or that they're, yeah. they're filling up. Yeah. So first of all, they would just you know uh, it would work in the sense of like uh, buying credits for your uh, internet quota. Like you, you buy a package in the, in, initially you buy a package for like, let's say how many gigabytes of quota, right? So in our, in our case, they would just, you know, buy a voucher for how many liters of water in this, in this case, 25 liters of water for 25,000 rupiah. And later on, they would just, you know, raffle anywhere and anytime and their quota would just gradually decrease uh, based on how much liters or milliliters they they refill. Okay, so all of this is done through your app. Yeah. So I download your app and mm-hmm. I go to one of your free fill stations and I I have I have paid for uh, ten liters of of water. Uh, mm-hmm. So then <clears throat> I like scan a QR code on on your machine uh, and I refill my water and it you know it takes. Uh, oh my god, I'm terrible at, at <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, like ten ounces of, of of water, right? So now that mm-hmm. that has been deducted from my account in my yeah. app automatically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you just top up that uh, that credit in your app through like GoPay or Ovo or yeah. yeah, exactly, something like that. Interesting. And so then, how are uh, so you 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 have like a you know a marketplace essentially. How are you um, getting, like, what is more important? Getting more machines uh, to be mm-hmm. out in the uh, public spaces or is it getting users to know about your, your company and your app and getting the, those downloads first? My approach to growth is actually, you know, like to, to penetrate strategic locations and areas in order to acquire our target number of users. So um, we're more focused on our target numbers of users and how our machines could acquire that. And we saw that different locations would need different amounts of machines due to their unique site plan. So for example, a bus station probably just needs one machine and has thousands of people coming about the same exact spot since it has a small compact space, but a small, uh, sorry, not small, but a mall which is of course bigger and wider would need more machines to reach the visitors it has. So um, we're more focused on, you know, like the number of users that we can acquire. And from there we would just strategize, okay, which locations are, are more strategic for us to place our machines. Cause we, we don't really want to, you know, like kind of not do it effectively. We want to do it effectively and efficiently as much as possible, right? So yeah, that's that's one of the key points that we want to focus on, uh, so, user numbers. So you're able to go to a, <clears throat> a location and say, 
we have 40 40 refill stations right now mm-hmm. average number of foot traffic refills per hour is x uh, yeah. so, so is the the value for these locations to allow you to put uh your refill stations in their uh, locations uh just uh like is there a revenue split or are they just a value add to their the people who are who are already there like why do they want why would they let you put your refill stations in their location okay so um we pay for a rent space just like other tenants would do and you know like placing our machine kind of helps them have this sense of being eco-friendly and that's what uh you know like the advantage of us being there in, in their area as previously mentioned, Rebrix is looking for buy-in from architects. We are going to focus on like private house and then like architect community, contractor community, but more like, you know, we are going to build relationship with them like first personally. And then like after that, we hope we can reach more bigger contractor and developer. And so, then after that, we hope we can reach the government. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes sense that's that's a sound strategy uh so you guys aren't involved with any of the design are you like um an arc you let's say you sell sell to these architects they've bought in they love the the idea and the product uh and so now they're they're building a new subdivision and they want to use all of your your bricks in these 10 new homes that they're they're making uh do you modify the size of in the shape of the bricks at all do you say you know is there any landscaping that you're a part of or is it just they go hey we need a thousand bricks this is what you know this is our order is that or is that is it more to that transaction yeah it's more to that transaction but because we are still very early in our business you know like we're just in an early stage right so right now we are trying in the future we are going to make like different design you know, like different papers design. Right now we only have like two type of papers. So like in the future, we are going to make like different shapes, but basically like the architect and the contractor are the one who take care of the, you know, like the overall landscaping. We just provide the bricks. And I'm very curious, how many, is there like a number of how many sachets uh, equal one brick? Is there any way you can quantify that? Yes, so basically like uh, in in one brick, we basically like we use up minimum minimum like 20 sachet, but we we measure it with a coffee sachet. So it's like minimum 20 coffee sachet, but it can be more depending on the size of the sachet, right? So like one brick contains like 20 sachet. So in one square meter, you basically recycle 880 coffee sachet. In one square meter, you recycle 880 coffee sachets. Yes. Wow. So this, if you scale this up and have significant impact on uh, the plastic waste problem. It's clear that plastic waste is a huge problem in Indonesia, but it's very encouraging hearing the stories of these two women and their newly formed ventures. As someone who has brainstormed dozens of business ideas, None of them have been as ambitious as changing how an entire country approaches plastic waste. You can learn more about Waterhub at waterhub.id or 
on Instagram at waterhub.id. If you're interested in contacting Rebrix, go to rebrix.id or rebrix.id on Insta. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Side Door Podcast. I hope you are as inspired by these two ladies and their vision for Indonesia's future as I am. Don't forget to follow the pod on Spotify or subscribe on iTunes, where you can also give it a five-star rating. Follow me on Instagram at Jesse Bowman or the pod at sidedoor.fm. Until next time, stay curious. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.